You are listening to LP Uncovered, a music podcast hosted by myself, Lauren Plant. On this episode, I'm joined by the wonderful Bristol-based singer-songwriter Jemima Coulter. Recognised as founding member alongside Ed Tullett in the project Hayalaka, Jemima was raised on classical music in Hampshire. Without context for what was popular, they swiftly developed a sound meticulously their own. In July this year, they released their mesmerising debut solo album, Grace After a Party. Populated by stories of body swapping and clowns, Coulter's music takes us beyond the personal, travelling from London to Perugia to the circus and the sea. So let's uncover Jemima Coulter's brilliant debut album, Grace After a Party. Thank you so much for coming on LP Uncovered this week. Jemima Coulter, how's it going? Yeah, good. Good, good, good. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm really excited to chat about uh, Grace after a party. But first, you're a Southwesterner. Are you in Bristol at the moment? Yes, I am. Fellow yeah. Southwesterner, how's that going? It's uh, rainy here and it's pretty great. awful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not particularly nice weather. But um, what's it like being a musician in Bristol? Um, it's good. Yeah, it's an amazing scene. It's been really cool the last couple of years, like just having loads of friends, basically, just become really kind of successful. And you know, it's like Kate J. Pearson and uh, Lynx and Grove and like loads of other people. Cool. Like, Shimmers and stuff like that. And it's just been amazing to see, yeah, the community just like be. I don't know. There's a kind of certain kind of clout, I guess, now that comes from being a musician in Bristol, which, yeah, I don't know. We're just all doing our own thing and kind of everyone else like that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll probably talk about some of your friends because obviously you collaborate with a lot of people on the album and a lot of people that seem to um, to help out and mention some of them. But like I said, like huge congrats on obviously your debut solo album, Grace After a Party. And yeah. I read someone describe it as feeling as visual as it does auditory, which I'm going to kind of steal that because I think it's a great word describing it. Um, yeah, me too. It's all I could ever ask for, really. I know. So I'm just <laughs> going to copy and paste that one. But um, what have been like your overriding emotions kind of like before, during, and mainly after now, like you've released it? It is feeling very after now. I think memory of emotion is not something that I like, feel like I'm very good at. I'm like, it's like, you know, when you're saying how did something taste and you're trying to like taste it in your mouth and you're like I don't know this kind of tastes like the lunch that I had two hours ago you know yeah. that kind of thing where you're like I think it could have felt like this but I think bef- before I was just I was actually just like super stressed for like about two months leading up to mm. the album like you know working and then trying to pull everything together and like trying to work out the releases that I've done before it all been quite like low-key and this was the first time I was working with the a proper label well yeah I mean we were working with a label before but it was sort of like very much friends whereas this is much more of a working relationship um and it was all kind of like lyric videos and stuff which was all doing myself and then like yeah just kind of planning it all out and photos and then prayers and stuff like that it was just really stressful for like six months and then you release it and I I mean the, the day of the, the release I was in Wales, actually, at um, a tiny little kind of a private festival. It sounds a bit cool, but yeah, it was it was cool. Uh, it was a bit like party festival, um, and there was no signal at all, no Wi-Fi, and it was just amazing just to like to do my post, yeah, at you know eleven a.m. and then drive to Abergavenny and switch off. I don't know. The the work is done when you get to that point. Like I think it was really really helpful for me to just switch off and um I did a tarot reading actually um oh, wow uh, yeah at this party maybe it's taboo to say these things maybe tarot is like I don't know wishes anyway I'm gonna say it but um, <laughs> it happened yeah. um so you well in some tarot readings you have a kind of like past present future okay have them um, see, this is really showing my Bristol roots. <laughs> Everyone's a witch in Bristol. Um, <laughs> and my present one was death, which is like a really kind of major um, 
called a major arcana. Um, but it was it was really kind of funny for me because I was joking about like, lol, what if I get death and then I die and it's the end of it. But it's it was really about just like um, it, it's basically a, a card that signifies like major life change, and it was mm. felt really significant that like I think it was the day the day after I'd put that album out. Wow, it's kind of stuff like that is really useful to as like a mirror mm-hmm. kind of shade of a mirror that reflects what's already inside of you back at you and you can kind of see it a bit clearer and it really was like oh damn yeah like it's a really big shift and I think it's been a really big shift in terms of my relationship with music and um living up to expectations and stuff and suddenly it was just a really big let go and um all of the work of kind of trying to be good enough and trying to be accepted and all of the kind of anxiety and worries that go into building up to an album and then the release of it and I think at that moment I was like I don't think I ever need to do that ever again like this is a debut album like I think there will be a sense of it but like for me releasing the album and it being accepted and it and it being a kind of a risk for me as well like I come from I guess being in a band of a certain style Mm -hmm. going out and doing solo stuff alongside it and being like no this is this is me me like this stuff and I was you know it was it was really you know producing my bedroom and from the ground up and stuff so it was like being accepted for who I was and that felt really like really really good and like a big kind of moment for me yeah that's amazing and um yeah like you said to go from like collaborative projects to then now doing like your solo stuff and um kind of having people be able to like accept it and, and it's amazing and it's so good and like yeah, so you must have had great response from from people. And I've like heard already speak about like being in Marseille and and having this story of this like clown in your head and, and that kind of being the birth of the birthplace of the album. Now that's a very quick overview, but are you able to kind of like expand more on that? Yeah. Well, it was a very kind of pivotal point in my life. I had just like left university and like all of my friends from that period of time were sort of dispersing. And um I went to Marseille to to see someone um, with some quite high, I think without realising it, some quite high expectations of kind of maintaining a relationship or building upon the relationship that we had had the previous summer because this was sort of like December. Uh, which is a terrible time to go to Marseille. There's nothing, nothing I was thinking, in, yeah. Like, <laughs> France in December. I've never heard of people being like Marseille in December. <laughs> Literally, everything was closed. Really? Like, oh, no. Yeah, there were only like, yeah. And I went and they were working like the entire time, which I, you know, in the hindsight, I'm like, well, that's not really fair because I did, you know, I was like quite explicitly coming to see you and you would have said that you were working all those days. You know, they were doing like eight hour shifts at some crappery. So I was just like, <laughs> I was just wandering around Marseille for like for basically three days alone. Um, with like, I don't know, a huge amount of, I guess, embarrassment and disappointment and also just, like, that also come culminating with the end of a period of, you know, I was 22, 21? Can't remember. Yeah, anyway, like, I need to decide what I was going to do with my life, basically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then I started listening to this, this audio book by Henry Miller um called the smile at the foot of the ladder which is about this clown mm. august august he's like the world's most famous clown and then he kind of gets it into his head that he really wants to create like eternal ecstasy in his audience through like one stunt or like one gag where it just like is the perfect gag where it just lasts forever and he's whilst he's performing he's thinking about it but he gets so like transfixed in this idea of, of creating the laugh that he basically just ends up kind of like struck dumb in, I think he is at a, he's at like a foot of a kind of like climbing ladder, like up to a trapeze mm. or something. And the audience start laughing at him. He gets basically gets really embarrassed, sort of quits, quits being a clown and sort of changes his name and starts working as like a, a sweep in a different circus. And then people start recognizing him and being like, oh, you're that clown. And he's like, no, oh, it's not me. And then um, the clown at that circus falls ill and he steps in 
um, pretending to be that clown who's got a really similar name that's also French. Antoine, yes. Antoine. 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 <laughs> and obviously he's really amazing and the whole the, the crowd basically are like, Antoine, Antoine, you're the new August, but it's actually August. And then I think Antoine dies of a broken heart. And then he gets really happy and then he gets bludgeoned by a police officer for like wow. no reason. Okay. It's a real whirlwind of emotions. <laughs> um, Crikey. <laughs> it's a really good book. It's really small. Um, I've not really read any other Henry Miller. He's a bit like chauvinist for me. Okay. In, yeah. In all the rest of his book, but like that one's just really good. Um, and yeah, I was listening to that and wandering around and was like, I kind of, whilst I'm wandering around these islands on the outside of Marseille, just me and it's grizzle and it's, and I'm just lost and alone. I kind of am feeling a little bit like this clown. Mm. I basically kind of realised that the whole of my previous period of life, as an adult, I'd sort of been, I guess, just following what other people were doing and rather than trying to find out who I was and what I liked and what I enjoyed. I was just kind of like, this is cool, this person's cool, this person's cool, this person's cool. Like, there's so many cool people in Bristol. It's so hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah, and then I kind of, after that point and, like, realising that I've been chasing this person and just, like, what was the point? Like, there wasn't, it wasn't going to come to anything. Like, if I don't know, if I don't have a solid foundation in who I am, A, no one's going to like me or, like, be interested in me. And also everything I pursue is not is not doesn't have a foundation or anything so I kind of realized that and it wasn't like I was necessarily like and now I'm going to write an album about it well it was amazing then that the lockdown happened because I just had all this time to basically mm. sort of commit myself to myself and be like I'm going to invest time in in learning about myself and what I'm interested in and like finding new music and finding you know researching new history and just like finding paintings poems reading books all of this stuff and then it kind of basically amalgamated into this really rich visual intellectual landscape that the album came out of and I don't know for me the album is kind of the key that links all of that period of my life together mm. that like there's a few references like visually it sort of somehow summarizes all of the things all of the places that I was whilst I was like in my bedroom but where I was exploring in my dreams and yeah thinking about being whilst yeah everyone was in the same place and no one could go anywhere yeah well, yeah. well you mentioned like the cultural influences and the title itself is a poem by Frank O'Hara is that right yeah. yeah at what point did you then read the poem was that something that you'd already heard of before or was that kind of before or after Marseille it was before actually someone had commented on it Instagram post of me announcing the album or releasing the album. It's like, yeah. I remember when you read that poem and Crofter's Rights. Like, wow, proper <laughs> fun. Like, yeah, I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was something that I found. And um, I didn't really know why, I didn't really know why out of all of the things I was thinking about that ended up becoming the name of the album. I think, uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe it felt like the beginning, another beginning of, of the story, another kind of finding of something. I don't know Frank O'Hara's poetry is like kind of magical and mystical and there's something about the line in it which is like oh gosh I have to get up, but get it up. <laughs> yeah it's like you do not always know what I'm feeling last night in the warm spring air whilst I was blazing my tirade against someone who doesn't interest me it was love for you that set me afire and isn't it odd for in rooms full of strangers my most tender feelings writhe and bear the fruit the fruit of screaming the bit that's rooms full of strangers my most tender feelings rather than the fruit of screaming I mean that's just like for me that's that's what it's like doing a gig you're just sort of like standing on a stage and you're like yeah. you know <laughs> but like internally you're just like it's this kind of outpouring of all of these things that no one else knows about and it's this kind of vulnerability for money <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a lot. Um, but, but it's what it is and and I think the first bit of that poem very much kind of feels like people are seeing you as something but you know you can see how they're seeing you but actually all of this is revolving around something else like you're doing this for something else and yeah it really captured me and was 
I don't know. There was, there was something kind of rung true and I think also continued to ring true throughout the whole making of the record of this. And it's fascinating the amount of cultural influences that you have in the album. And it's another poem that I'll be referencing in a little while when we go through track by track. But um, I know you mix the album with Ali Lacey, obviously, um, mm-hmm. Novo More. How was that? Oh, it was, it was great, actually, because um, Ali and I used the same software. So I just sent him the projects and I was really scared about it as well, because mixing is something that I kind of do as I produce. Like it feels, I guess, it being quite a visual album, and that's just kind of how I work a little bit, that the audio space is quite physical. Like I'm thinking about things left to moving left to right. Yeah. Okay. And right static sounds that kind of are going over your head. Like it's kind of like being in a room with loads of buzzing things going over. But I really wanted to kind of, uh, yeah. And that's something that is all relevant in mixing as well. And I was quite kind of scared (laughs) about kind of handing it over to someone else, but also knew that in order for it to kind of be palatable enough for it to, you know, go anywhere um, in the world that I would have to get someone else to, to help and he was really I think he really got it and I was yeah he really loved it and it changed but it's one of those things where it changed and I couldn't really if I listen to the old mixes now I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily be able to notice what actually changed um we've been we'd known each other for quite a long time and it was really nice to actually work great and something also that was just me and him as well because normally it's me him and ed and obviously they're like really long time collaborators and yeah um ed and i work together and stuff but we haven't really done anything just me yeah it's really cool um and before we go track by track i always talk about the album artwork so it was corin o'connor if i pronounce that right corin did the design but um the painting is by carmen walker vasquez ah okay cool how did that collaboration come about um Mm, we have a mutual friend, Chris Russell, who does my photos. Oh, cool. They're like best friends, longtime friends, look exactly the same from um, the back country. <laughs> um, <laughs> I actually met Carmen in person the other weekend, and it was actually just so funny seeing them together. I was like, you guys are just the same person. <laughs> like, how has this worked out? But you're not related. Um, anyway, yeah, so they, they're friends. and. Um, I don't know. I think I basically just stumbled across Carmen's Instagram and was like, these paintings are amazing. This really is cool. kind of, the vibe is exactly where I'm at. I had this kind of grand idea. I was working with my friend Fran. We were going to make the artwork basically by getting an AI to look at Matisse artworks. Oh, and wow. Okay. Basically, like, <laughs> I don't know the legalities of this anyway. Yeah. So I'm glad it didn't work out. But the AI was going to look at like all of Matisse's paintings and then basically, like, like do a kind of recreation so like yeah but I'm glad it ended up just being really sloppy you'll so. be a different person if you do that you'll be having legal battles left right <laughs> I'd be I'd be fighting the Matisse estate I like... know first we're not getting on with Marseille and now we're <laughs> you've not solved it to go to France <laughs> but, um, right so to go through track by track obviously you start the album with SST and it's um so it's the first song you put together in the period of making the album and you mm-hmm. obviously talk about a lot of like cultural influences and um, what's the story behind this one? Because the second verse, that is based on a, an, another poem by different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the song is about someone who basically gets a fever, gets ill and starts kind of hallucinating slash actually running away to the circus. And the kind of whole premise of the song is kind of about how like there's lots of things that stop us from doing stuff like that. Like you'd never do that because you've got to like pay rent and you're all your family at home and like there's you know, passport things, visas, you know, so like all of that kind of bureaucracy. Um, and I think I was kind of harking back to, I don't know, there's all, all of these stories that we're told when we're younger, like fairy tales and also stories kind of, just in general, like films and stuff, no one ever has to go through all of that. No one, everyone is just like, I'm going to do this thing and I do it. And, you know, the only kind of way that I could reason around pumping over that is basically being mad. It's like, it's this kind of madness. And I just, it felt like kind of, it feels important to be able to be able to do stuff like that, to 
leave and run away to the surface mm. if you want to, but everyone around you will tell you that it's a dumb thing to do and it's stupid. And that's like that last refrain of things. And then the second verse, I think I was just really sort of struggling about where to take it. And I found this poem, which is actually on a painting originally. Oh, um, right. Yeah, it was on a, I don't even know what it's called, serigraph? I don't really know what that is, but it was basically like a print by Carita Kent, who's this nun who made art in the 70s. Oh, wow. so it's, it's really cool. And it was just talking about, like loads of visuals around the circus. And I just wanted to kind of like basically flip it around so that it, I didn't run into any more copyright issues. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, get this kind of sense of, of what it would be like to, to be in the circus and also still have that kind of like madness. And is it a dream? Is it like, you know, when everything's kind of patching together and stuff. Um, but yeah, that was, that's kind of what that song wanted to talk about. Yeah, and it came from a phone recording of a guitar part and the melody. Mm. How often do you like get your phone out and then do it that way when you write songs? Um, quite often. This record was like quite a lot of excavation into phone recordings. Um, and that's very much where I started from because I knew that like over the last kind of four or five, six, eight years really that I'd just done loads of these little kind of melody recordings and they come up in my head like without being stimulated by anything they'd be mem- I'd, I'd remember them and that's kind of how I know that it's a good one you know where I just start kind of humming it I'd be like I, think I wrote that and I oh, never wow. really did anything with it so yeah I basically kind of dug them out which is so much work it took me like a month to go basically come up with all of these things that I wanted to use and yeah and I basically patched them together which is quite a lot how I have worked previously of taking like you know this aims idea and then you want to find like a chorus and put it together so that's sort of, sort of how it worked with a lot of them it's apart from the last song on the album which just kind of came out I think it was kind of one of the first songs that I ever wrote to be honest um, yeah wow when, yeah. um and I've also noted down just mainly because the name that Ed was on the Moog synthesizer is that oh yeah so yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that like on every song or is this particular no, it was mostly just on that one it oh, really right. t- it felt like notable because it's um it's in the kind of second interlude but there's a kind of amazing like yeah and, yeah it was just one of those things where it one thing adds onto the song and they're like this is how this is going to sound like this really somewhere I mean, yeah like really cool. shivers And talking great songs, the second song on the album, Dancing with Lara, which kind of starts off as it's like upbeat almost like I interpreted like like a summary song feel to it that's what it felt when um it starts off and then it kind of like shifts into this atmospheric synths and cymbals and obviously like your wonderful vocals um what was the writing process like for this one this one actually I wrote on I had that melody for ages uh I like I don't know set up a drum machine on my keyboard and started kind of doing that riff yeah and I just had that melody I kind of wasn't going to use it because I was like, it's just kind of cringy and and too poppy and I don't know what to do with it. But the words I think for this one, I I basically just like really, really dug into to try and kind of counteract that. And basically like, I love this melody. I think it's a really good melody. It stands on its own. Um, It's really fun. And it just kind of goes, it feels so easy the way that it transfers from the verse into the chorus and stuff. Like I really, kind of want to try and use it um but I really dug into the lyrics to try and I don't know get some kind of like roughness out of it some kind of something to sort of balance out of the sweet something um yeah a bit kind of rugged which is interesting because it's one of the ones where it's much more just sort of painting of a picture rather than like a story or anything so yeah have you played that song live I have the only time I play it is is when I do sort of a synth setup, which is like me kind of playing and triggering tracks and stuff. 
it's the next song on the list to do with the band, but um, it's yeah, I think we're to do a little little bit of work to arrange and stuff. Dancing with love, I swing into circles and run into refuse and swirl in the street. Move like a carousel, move like your babies, crawling the forest floor as if you knew that you were Track three, piano one, which I love and I just think it's so intimate and like the fragile piano and then halfway through it's kind of propelled into this like flurry of drums and, and other instruments. How, and this is a question I could ask for most of the songs, but how did the fusion of these two different sounds come about? Well, the kind of acoustic to suddenly kind of... Yeah, the piano and then that shift across within yeah. the song. I think my tendency is is always to kind of build on songs. Um, so it's much more like it was almost like a, a pulling back and a taming of it rather than me trying to build it up. I want, I basically wanted to kind of move from it sounding almost like a voice recording and having that slightly kind of like lo-fi texture to it to having just a really big passionate build into because the chorus is really poppy. It's a really poppy chorus. has that kind of like call and response thing going on. And yeah, I think I just started, I think I just whacked some drums on it and it just kind of, yeah, became bigger and bigger. And I think actually the first kind of, the the first and the, the verse and the chorus were set and then the ending of it, which kind of sprawls out very much came as like an ad lib from building up and building, making it bigger. It felt like, oh, now I can take it to, to this sort of ending that I think most of it is all a bit um, made up on the spot. Not, oh wow! Not particularly, yeah. And I mentioned that it feels intimate, and like the beginning of the song, you can literally like hear yourself like clearing your voice or clearing your throat. Mm. Did you like purposely keep that in? Yeah. What was your um yeah. like thought, beh- thought behind that? I think. I think also I was thinking about it in terms of like, I'm not sure whether I'd had a track listing at that point, but I think very much I'd kept it in because of the track listing because it was going from these two quite like big songs and then just the idea of I don't know almost do this like, like slightly <laughs> ironic of like <clears throat> uh, <laughs> well this is the next song I always think it's really funny the idea that like the idea that that all could have been a live recording and this could this could all be live <laughs> you, then you have all of those things in and it makes it real and yeah I don't know. I didn't really intentionally cough. I think it was very much yeah. part, of, um, <laughs> part of one of the demo recordings and I kept it in. And I think I have a sort of phone recording mixed in with everything else. I did that a couple of times. I think I read somewhere that Marika Hackman had done it and was like, cool, I'll add it. Um, <laughs> it's like recording, um, recording at the same time as like you're recording through all of your and then mixing it in so it just has that yeah very cool when you're next at a gig you know have people been like do the calf imagine they're like do it <laughs> you're like god yeah maybe i should get it on on the trigger and just have like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah i started it here you heard it here first <laughs> <clears throat> Number four uh, for Grace after a party, um, which again, like so many different sounds all pulling together, the electronic percussion, the acoustic guitar, um, your awesome like lyrics and vocals. And again, like picking up on the sound effects within the song. At the end of the song, it kind of ends with this like plucking of guitar strings and then it's just like beeping like an alarm. Um, mm. How did you create that sound? Or, or like what was your intention with the ending of that song? Mm, I think I was just messing about really especially with song endings there's something that I've noticed as well like doing it with the band because we're like listening to the track and then it just like it doesn't really have like an ending it's just this sort of like this dissipation of instruments 
And everyone's like, so how do you want to end this song? And I'm like, we could just do that. And that's occasionally what we do is we just sort of like, the end of a song is just kind of a messing about really. And that's very much like what would happen whilst I was recording is that because it's not like a traditional tracking process where I like write the song and think about all of the parts and then like lay it over the parts of like the length of the whole song. It's like, I'll do like nearly all of the production for like a verse because I can't, I can't like help myself. I'm just like, Oh, oh wow. Yeah. And then it's like, so what happens next? <laughs> and then, then I work out what happened next and then I have to like, Oh wow. Over yeah. And like kind of make it. And that's always the hardest bit is like, how does this transfer into this? And also, all of these sounds that we recorded from like three weeks ago and you haven't got the settings the same so nothing really sounds like it's the same and that's why there's so many instruments going on because it's basically like well in order for that to work out there I then have to put maybe something of that instrument earlier on so it's less of a shock when it comes in and the general kind of like smudging um smudging that's good describing it yeah, <laughs> yeah it, is, it is quite yeah I do it does always feel a little bit like painting mm. um yeah, so I think it's just the ending's never necessarily always the ending when I'm making it, and then it suddenly becomes along the way. It's like, okay, this is we're not going to do another repeat of anything. You just get the sounds of me, I don't know, just zoning out basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And in the timeline of the album coming together, at what point did that song come together for Grace After a Party? The majority of them were all sort of in tandem with each other and that I was making them all pretty much all at the same time. New Recording Reaching is the last song that I wrote for it. Right. And it was the only song that I wrote completely in the period of producing their record. Um, oh, okay. That wasn't, yeah, it wasn't in the original kind of demos for it. And the last song I left until last as well because I knew it was going to be on that. But I also wanted to the rest of the songs were more troubled children. Like I was like, I don't know how you guys are going to work together. Like <laughs> we don't have lyrics. We don't really have a structure. I know I want these melodies on there, but they, they need to be songs. <laughs> um, I think the rest of them were sort of all, it was like all together at the same mm. time. I'd be like, wake up one day and be like, this one is a little bit further behind. So I'll work on this one. And, and then I'll work on that one. Cause I feel like it, or I think I have an idea for this. So it's very much sort of like all chop and change working on them together. But yeah, I, I think I'd had sort of the melody and that kind of twangy guitar part from a, a voice memo, which I think had tagged on to the end of something else that I'd used for another oh, song. Yeah. That. Put a mole around my mouth and place it in your jaw and lie. Still, you're not the cover of sins and winds and spirits to control. Nice. So, at number five, peeling. Um, like straight away you're hit with like the wonderful guitar and your vocals and I particularly love the brass on this one um mm. and the piano and then like the sound effects that come to the surface production wise with the brass and the piano and the, the mix of the instruments how did this one take shape this one was the hardest one to do I still have them but I have loads and loads of beginnings of it of being like I need to get I need to get the guitar sound right basically like worked really really hard to to get it right to make it feel roomy enough, to make it feel kind of intimate enough, to get that kind of balance, really. And I, yeah, for whatever reason, I just like really hit a block with it. And then I think at one point, yeah, I just was like, I'm just going to have to go with what I have. Like, this is taking so much time. Like, let me just listen to what I have and just pick the best one. And I was like, ah, oh, that's And then that one I wrote entirely and then added stuff on top. Right. Apart from Australia, I think those two are the ones that worked like that, where it was a bit more trad and I'd written the song and then we added added stuff on top. I don't know, it was like this uh, just release, I think, of being like, I can finally produce a song. And I just threw loads of stuff on it and it it just got kind of bigger and bigger and more 
expressive and more and then I started doing kind of these background vocals which is something I like tend to use as a last resort of like I've tried all of my instruments and I still can't get the sound right so I'm going to do it with my mouth now (laughs) but I kind of added them on top as this sort of like wailing in the background and it suddenly just started all to pull together and it became uh yeah I remember it like really distinctly of being you get this kind of moment when you're making an album producing it where there's a kind of element of like surely this has to be coming from somewhere else like it's a sort of spiritual connection or like it's a bit sublime it's a bit like I didn't just make that like there was this was I excavated it I found it this had to have already existed because it sounds so it's making me feel like something it feels like it's unlocking something in the song that feels like it's already existed somehow and I think that there are a few moments like that in peeling yeah that's interesting because I've like read you describe it where you've created an album that's a hallucination where it's half you and half someone else Mm. which is like a really interesting way of like being able to look at that especially as an artist I can imagine how many instruments how many different instruments do you play specifically on the album I play everything apart from the drums Wow! and then there's a few things that add a few kind of synth bits that Ed added on top but I'd basically done demos and then we went to then I had like a two days at Ed's and we just sort of re-recorded some guitar with using his microphones he's got a better kit than me and some piano bits and then we kind of played around with some synth sounds some that we kept some that we didn't so yeah it's one of those things where I'm like I, didn't re- I think Ed did this bit yeah. but it also could have been me but maybe we'll yeah. just say it was Ed yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah it was all me um I graphed yeah but also, I think, I don't know, it's it's made me realise that there's a whole other skill set in working with other people and achieving the sound you want. And it's something that I, like, really want to, something that I, like, really aspire to be able to do is to be able to do me, but with everyone else. Because I feel like there's a limit to how, there's just a limit to what I can do. And in a lot of ways, I feel like Grace was this, it's an exhibition of all of the things that I can do. Well, could do it at the time. I've, like developed a bit now but then the next thing for me is probably going to be doing that but with other people kind of expanding out a little bit and yeah really cool yeah when you walk your eyes when you hold my Number six, horses. Um, again, like lyrically, just very detailed, very graphic and descriptive. And again, one of these moments that like nearly, I think it's like when you reach the two minute mark, it kind of like almost erupts and kind of then all comes back in at the end and you kind of bring it all back in. Um, have you played that one live? If so, what's it like to kind of like start off and then like erupt and then have to bring it back in at the end, if that makes sense? Yeah, we've played it a couple of times. I think it's quite a difficult one to play live because it can just sound like super thrashy and to get the kind of the melody in and stuff and be able to hear my vocals. It just ends up being a sort of like, yeah, right. <laughs> which is, is what I wanted. It's what I wanted it to sound like. It's a song that I'm, after I finished it, I was like, I think this is one that is going to really, it's going to really become itself when we play it live. But we've played it a couple of times and, well, it just sort of starts off solo and then we add a few things in and then there's just a point where it drops basically and everyone comes in for the whole of the rest of the song and then there's the outro as well, um, which is just as it is in the record. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just becomes this kind of tornado, which is, it's not something I've ever tried to do. And <laughs> I recorded, I recorded it all without the drums first, which right. is a bit like, if I was recording a band that actually sounded like that on the regular, then the drums and the bass, you do it like the old way. You do drums and bass first and then you'd lay everything over the top and you'd have a bit of a, you'd, you'd not necessarily do it to click, but you'd have a, at least a grid with the drums. But I basically did it backwards and it was an absolute nightmare. And it still has that slightly, like whenever I listen to it, I'm like, that sound, 
yeah that bit's out as well okay. it doesn't quite, it doesn't quite line up because none of it was done together but in a lot of ways I'm also looking at it now and like it's kind of a bit unhinged which is kind of also what I was going for where it's yeah. just like everyone yeah it sort of it's I don't know it's a it's an interesting it was it was one of those things where I was like should this be on the album because it's just I don't know it doesn't really fit in with the rest of it yeah and it's not necessarily the best showcase of anything actually um <laughs> apart from but I just love the words I was like this is so cool and it felt it was one of those it felt like it all matched up really like the song is kind of about anxiety and like worries and it was all a bit unhinged and I had this sort of imagery of I don't know like this sort of 1800s heaths and like horses and like sweat darkness and all of that the yeah probably something from like Pride and Prejudice film I think was and yeah and then just kind of linking it back um all of these images of being kind of panicked and yeah it felt like it was there was something about it that was actually quite perfect which I don't think I'd done yeah yeah, I'm very glad that you kept it on the album. Do you often, <laughs> like you said, obviously you listen back and you're like, oh, that bit's been out. Like how much have you reflected on the album since it's coming out? Or like do you still listen to songs and think, oh, this and this? Or do you kind of now just on to the next thing? I know so many artists that'll be like, I just do it and then that's it then. I've kind of just on to the next thing. Mm, I mean, the the way that I interact with it now is playing it live. Um, I haven't listened to it in its recorded form for a little while properly. I don't know. Occasionally it'll kind of come up and I will listen to it, like whether it's just a file that I need to reference um, in terms of practicing and stuff. And I listen to it and I'm like, it's better than I remember. Yeah. <laughs> God, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, like a little bit. Like, yeah, it wasn't half bad. Like, yeah. this is really the songs are really connect with connected with now. Like the songs in their purest form, like the structure, the melody, the lyrics, they're all like very much still playing a part in my life because I'm because I'm performing it. But the production, I'm I sort of forget what it's like. Really, like I kind of know the general direction, but like the details of it and stuff. And I I think. There are some things that I will always, and I, I knew that, but I, there's, there's stuff, always stuff in every album I've made. There's always stuff. And you listen to it and you're like, I didn't get that quite right. I wasn't really, I know what I was going for, but I didn't really get it right. And I, li- and like the stuff that I made when I was like 18, that's still somewhere on the internet. And I listened to it, I don't know, probably about like once every six months just to check in. And I still listen to it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know what this is. This Something. is hitting in some level, but I know that if I tried to do that now, I'd be able to do it. I'd be able to get closer to what I was going for, mm. not necessarily like nail it. And I think there's still a lot of moments in listening to to Grace after a party that I am like, I think I was trying to do this, but it doesn't quite get there. But it's not necessary. I never feel like that disappointed. I think it's just like the idea is really good, but the execution is maybe. Well, don't need to feel disappointed. It's amazing, amazing album. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so number seven, appealing and heaven. Um, so the first half, pe- like peeling. Who sings that? Me. Is that your voice? Yeah, yeah. I just oh, pitched wow. myself up. Oh. It, like, really for logistical reasons, is that I wanted to have peeling the end of peeling in it. Yeah, and I wanted. <laughs> I really kind of pedantically wanted um, a particular recording of it because it was a voice recording so it's all kind of guitar and vocals together I think Mm -hmm. 
and I really liked the kind of ad libs that I did at the end and also managed to kind of hit them really well uh-huh. so none of that is auto-tuned or anything and I listen back and be like oh yeah it's really heavily auto-tuned I shouldn't have said that <laughs> um, but uh, but I needed it to be in the same key as the other part so that was why it was pitched up and it just became a bit of a thing and the same right. yeah happened in a couple of other songs as well okay yeah 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 because i was yeah i was gonna ask it's the same person back on the other chat but you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it's it's mini me (laughs) right okay um and i love the lyrics that i'm not bold enough to be your heaven and how that kind of echoes and and builds up and again the layers of, of vocals on that song and Again, you said that you just want to make music that's different every time you listen to it. And I, I love that idea. And you definitely like very much achieved that with this album and, and this song. What music do you listen to that feels different every time you listen to it? I really, really love really heavily produced music because of that quality. Mm. Um, I think that probably the most obvious and really boring example is the second Bonnie Bear album where it has that kind of there's quite a lot of things going on and you each time you listen to it you're like oh there's a little bleep there and oh there's a something there but I think it's a quality that kind of it very much exists in like music since 2010 like there's a really good Bombay Bicycle Club album which one is it it's the one with the green cover right yeah I wouldn't be able to name it but there's really it's quite like it feels very rich and produced and like there's lots and lots of things going on it so it's like I think it's really common now that people making music like that of it being very deliberately layered and rich and well actually I think there has been a slight kind of backlash like there's a lot of stuff that's very sparse now but there was a period of kind of like I don't know in the 2010s where there was a lot of really really amazingly rich music it sounded like it was quite like world worldly as well it was like loads of because there's just so many instruments there and it it's not necessarily that there's so many instruments and you can hear all the different parts. It's like people have just sort of like splattered at the page and kind of almost like carved out where things should be. And that's very much like how I like working because there's stuff that I'm, I discover as well when I'm listening to it. I'm like, oh, that, that part there really interacts nicely with that overlapping thing there. And it, mm. it's almost like you can hear this harmonic but then I try and find it and it's not there. So then I'm like, well, maybe I should just add it because then I know that it's there. And you kind of build a picture from what you've, I guess, kind of improvised over the top. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 Track eight, Australia. Where does the song title come from? Because you don't necessarily reference Australia in the, in the lyrics. Yeah, I think Australia used to be in the lyrics, but it's um, well, it means star in Spanish, but it's the beer. Oh, yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is the beer. Oh, but uh, no, Sarah in Spanish, I didn't know that. Yeah, I think that one is like, I don't know, it feels very much like a quite grounded song for me. Like it's very much about something like a falling apart relationship and it's sort of me thinking about my memories and and all of that stuff. And I don't know, some of the other songs, it's partly me discovering what the song's about whilst writing it. Right. But this felt very like... It felt like quite kind of directly passionate, which I think is a special thing to to capture. Um, Definitely. It's probably the only real relationship song on the on the album. The the other ones are they're all around a relationship, but it wasn't a real one. It was a kind of like a potential one and, and this one is about uh yeah, it's yeah, it's about a real relationship. Yeah. Um yeah. and I was gonna say the singer's back then they join you on that song again but it's you <laughs> it is me <laughs> featuring yeah. you <laughs> yeah so it's the same thing where um I wanted to have my cake and eat it and I wanted That's I great. wanted the guitar part to be a certain configuration because I liked the the 
I barely like the phrasing of the chords. Like I liked how they sat at that key, but I didn't want to sing it in that key because it was a bad key to sing it in. So it was basically me like playing it in the original key and then and then kind of pitching it up and it uh, yeah, ended up being this really cool effect. Color in the back of your mouth so number nine flowers again you kind of got that like the underlying current of the piano how much do you tend to write on the piano as opposed to the guitar I'd, it's probably about like 70 30 guitar piano right. but piano is like I think I'm more and more realizing that that is the instrument that like I've really really connect to but yeah guitar is is very like immediate but piano is like is like a kind of I'm sitting down to write something rather than sort of grabbing a stringed instrument and then just you being able to record whatever's on my mind but yeah, piano feels, for me, it feels much more like directly melodic. So quite often I will write vocal melodies on the piano um, if I'm trying to work out like a second part or something. Which did you learn first? Uh, I guess technically piano. I think I got to my grade one. Yeah, I was about to reference When I was grade, seven. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but then I didn't practice ever so yeah it was a big kind of tie at home between me basically just want to wanting to muck about on the piano and not practice what I was supposed to be practicing yeah you know, like andante or whatever it would have been great one Facebook. um and being like wow triads and like this note sounds like this together and just you know like generally just kind of like working out in my head versus actually practicing to do the grades and stuff so yeah, it happened a few times with a few instruments. When, right. Yeah, my mum was quite like, this is a really good thing for you to do. Like, because she just, yeah, it's quite a classical music person. Yeah. Oh, um, right. Okay. <laughs> and uh, yes, like, she played like five instruments or something. Oh, wow. like, you, you must learn this. Okay, that one's not working out. Okay, try this. That <laughs> uh, one's not really working out either. We're running into the same. Part. Wow. Um, and then a guitar I uh, picked up because my brother played it and I was having that sort of little sister phase where I just wanted cool. to be him. I wanted it yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah when I was like 12 11 12 um, and because you can just like find tabs online I basically like self-taught kind of swallowed music basically of just being like and now I'll play this and now I'll play this and, and then like because yeah because it's self-led I just went from not being able to play any chords to like playing like John Mayer riffs in like a year because I was just yeah this I became really obsessed and I, I think at the time I'd like moved schools and didn't have very many friends either so that was just like what I did for John like, was like, your friend yeah yeah it was it was what I did when I got home from school and it just it was to- totally, totally obsessive um I'm not sure we've got any better since then Larry. <laughs> whatever <laughs> but yeah uh, fast track um yeah so kind of and then I think a bit later on I did essentially that same process with piano and sort of fell in love with it a bit and worked out my way of my way of playing it. Number 10, so new recording, reaching. Mm. Well, I was going to say, obviously, the whole new recording, maybe think of like a, a voice recording on your phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So was that how it formed? And Yeah, I think that one is new recording eight on my Right. Phone. Yeah, I was going to say you don't title any recordings. It's not even like it's just new recording one. Two. Well, no, because, I mean, like new recording eight is probably about 20 minutes long. So it's got yeah. at least seven songs in there. Oh, <laughs> No, I mean it, it, it means sort of like trying to find it, trying to find something. Mm-hmm. Um, then it would have been sort of in the middle of there. Um, 
that first bit, the kind of refrain at the beginning and at the end um, was also a really special moment where I basically sitting down to record and was like, I don't really want to work on any of these songs that I'm trying to work on. Why don't I just have a play? And like immediately just kind of sat back and was like, what's going on at the moment? And then recorded and then just said that line, which is reaching, reaching for something further out, which is like almost sort of self-referential in the, what I was thinking about whilst I was trying to, you know, write the thing that I was writing. Like all of the things that I am saying in writing this album, they're all really abstract. They're all just talking about stuff that hasn't happened. It's all just, I'm really like, I was really, really trying really hard to, yeah, to make the make the lyrics read like poetry. Like mm-hmm. I had sort of like three objectives of the album, make everything kind of stand alone. So like the, the words would be just readable. Mm-hmm. Uh, the melodies would be kind of singable without backing. They would kind of like have enough movement in them that they made sense. Um, and the production would be kind of compelling enough without a vocal on the top of it. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, really, really nerdy, smart targets. <laughs> and um, I've been I've been kind of really focusing on kind of making, making, the, making the lyrics really rich, and it's something that I really... Mm-hmm. It took me so, it was so much work um, because it's not something I'm naturally very... It's not something I naturally think about. Like, I'm very much melody-focused. Right, okay. And... Yeah, that's kind of what that song ended up being about. It ended up being about the writing process and kind of just like, what am I actually trying to say here? And let's just yeah. say that. Do you feel like since that album now, like lyrically and the way you write music, has it changed after this album? Yeah, I think so. I think in, you know, like all artistic movements, <laughs> there is a backlash. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I think. I've learned that not everything has to be separate in order for it to be good. Like I was kind of looking for a a kind of deep and and richness, uh, which I think is something that I found in that like music where it's just, there's so much going on that every time you listen to it, it sounds different. Um, It's really detailed. It takes a little while to work out what's happening. And I think now I, I'm kind of much more interested in tying everything together a little bit more and what what is it that makes a song really captivating and, and perfect and stuff. And I think in making the album, there were moments like that that I was noticing and I was trying to kind of pinpoint what it was about this particular verse or a particular soundscape that just felt really like there wasn't a lot going on musically. But there was just something about it. It was just, this is just really, this feels really perfect. It feels like a real distillation of emotion. Um, and yeah, I think that's kind of more where I'm heading now. It's more cool. like a broader objective. And I think there's a sense of ease to it that is something that I think I missed. There is something to be said for like hard graft though. And that is something that, yeah, I always, always thought that doing what I did would feel really contrived and it would feel like, really try hard but it actually it doesn't it feels like quite kind of raw and simplistic I think um yeah exciting i'll talk more about what you've got going on in the future a little bit later but the last song on the album the well of um well i was gonna ask why you put it specifically at the end but it seems was it the last song that took shape did you say oh it's the first song i wrote but the last one i produced that's it yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) the first song you wrote last song you produced yeah i wrote it when i was like 18 it was kind of well, it was this really, really long, sprawling kind of basically lyrical, melodic improvisation. But I was just sort of exploring lots of ideas and stuff. And I kept on playing it live. And every time I played it live, I'd sort of take bits out and add other bits in that I'd remembered. And it sort of started kind of taking shape as a consistent song. And I had a kind of period of playing live shows while 
whilst I was at uni. Um, and that one, I think it's the only one out of all of the songs that I was playing at that time. Like, it's just wow. didn't really need to go anywhere else, I think. Um, but yeah, that one has been around for a really long time. I wanted to make it quite kind of droney and have have a bit of a play around with it because I kind of knew it was the song that I was most formed by the time I came to produce it. Like I've been playing it for years and um, it had been around for five years probably by the time I recorded it. What uni did you go to? Bristol. Oh, right. Nice. Uh, what did you study? Uh, maths. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. Was it just like, did you think that you wanted to do something within maths or did you kind of always know you wanted to do music, but that was just a way into uni or you enjoyed it? Yeah, I just did quite well academically. And I think that was a kind of pressure for me to go to uni, which I didn't fight off. Um, and by the time I sort of got to that point, I was doing maths, maths and physics at A level, and oh my gosh, was yeah. I <laughs> well, I think you know it's one of those things where like I think I just had really good teachers, and I didn't. I would have. I would absolutely have loved to have done an art subject at uni, but my writing wasn't good enough, and it hadn't been good enough for years in order for me to resurrect that. And um, I was kind of thinking, it's it's a great subject to do at uni. I could have been, uh, I could be earning hundreds of thousands of pounds now, and I'm sure many of the people who I sat next to in class are. Yeah, and um, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're lovely banking jobs and mm. well, loads of stuff you can do with maths, like insurance stuff, betting companies. My tutor, I think, had made loads of money working for Paddy Power. Right. <laughs> yeah and it's like all a little bit like soul destroying um but also you know what whilst everyone was going and doing their internships at McKinsey <laughs> in the summer I was trotting over to Ed's house in Cardiff hey, and making cool. Haymaker album so that's got, it kind of got to the end of the year and I was like I haven't done I can't do any of the things that any of these other people are doing like could have become a spy probably exactly um, <laughs> And yeah, target um, Marseille. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I am a spy in this whole album. No, is I full circle. I thought it would come full circle at the end. <laughs> um, yeah, and it just didn't. It wasn't. It wasn't what I wanted to do. Yeah. Really. Um, well, it's a great way to end the album. It feels very potent talking about Paddy Power at the end of the album. <laughs> <laughs> So some like quick fire questions, some of it we've already kind of covered. Okay. Um, which song came together the quickest and which took the longest? Uh, I think Peeling took the longest. Peeling, yeah. And I think either Reaching or The Well took the quickest coming. Well, it depends which bit, where you start and where you end. The production of The Well was really quick. I think Reaching was very, it's a, it's a song that I think of. I'm like, that was a pretty instant. Okay. Instant hit. Instant hit. Uh, do you have a favourite song off the album? Ooh. Uh, Concept-wise, Flowers. Mm-hmm. Um, execution, I think, Peeling Heaven. Lyrically, Horses. Nice. That's a good way of not having to pin down one song as well. Spread yeah. it out of three. Uh, <laughs> do you have a favourite lyric or song with favourite lyrics in it? Um, I'm just gonna get my. I know this is quick fire, but no, 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 it's my... fine. No, it doesn't. Are the <laughs> amount of times people are like, and I'm like, it's not quick fire, but I say way. anyway. <laughs> well, they all exist kind of on the same level. I think. Um, oh god, this is really hard. I shouldn't have started looking at them. Oh, no. oh, oh that's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. Actually, I really like the lyrics at the end of horses where it's like horses like me steaming in their seats smoking in their porches just because i think it's a really funny sort of like image of i don't know like absurdist horses 
sitting in there kind of like porch in Virginia, like smoking <laughs> their legs across. <laughs> That's what I think. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Nice. Um, and uh, which song do you most enjoy playing live or, you, or you're most looking forward to playing live, either of the two? Um, Flowers. Nice. Flowers, Flowers is a song that, yeah, I wish that we'd learned how to play it live and then recorded it. Um, rather than me kind of trying to make it sound live because it really, um, yeah, it has a quite a, quite a kind of bandy feel mm-hmm. and it feels really like, yeah, it feels really feels like it much more comes cool. into the phone when we play it live. Right, last game. So this is called at the end of all the podcast episodes. So it's called What's the Occasion? And I give you three different occasions and you've got to pick three separate songs off the album that if they had to be played at that occasion, which would it be? So you've got a wedding, a dinner party. So you've got friends around, vinyl players on, or a car road trip. So which would be your like wedding? Oh gosh. <laughs> um wedding. <laughs> what point of the wedding is this? Is this dancing point or is someone walking Ooh, in? My you can choose. No, you can choose. Oh, okay. I like that. Okay. Uh, no, okay, maybe dancing with Lara with the wedding. I feel like that's fitting. It's a bit easy, a bit of an easy answer, but I think probably correct. Great, especially really Lara's getting actually. But <laughs> Say that again, say that again. I was really hoping this last game was going to be quick fire multiplication. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was <absolutely>. way harder. <laughs> yeah, can completely change the game now. I know you did uh, A-level maths and physics. Um, <laughs> starts with Lara for your wedding um, yeah. dinner party so talking piece uh, I think reaching new recording reaching probably and car road trip car road trip oh my gosh the whole album ah easy whole <laughs> album there you go um, a highlight track maybe uh, SST Come on. great um, what have you got coming up in the future I have a few little festivals coming up in the next month. So soon festival in Cardiff. I cool. think it's like that with the W and the little hat. Um, and live at Leeds and playing. Cool. Um, I'm doing some shows with my friend Olivia, Ao Gerber in November. Cool. Um, yeah, just like a few bits of shows here and there. Um, right. And then... We've got this tour with Novamore in April. Wicked. Yeah. Hoping there'll be kind of some more surprise tours coming up before then, but we'll see. We'll see. Great. Well, people have yeah. to go on your website and all your social media and all that. Kind yeah, of stuff I do need to, to update my website. All oh, right. Okay. So about like two months. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay well, go to your Instagram and uh, they can check out. Yeah, Instagram is a lot more reliable. Okay. Um, website will be reliable in about. 45 minutes oh maybe. great right perfect <laughs> that's what i'll do now right that's what i need to do today yeah um thank you so much for your time i really appreciate you coming on jemima um and it's been great to chat with you about the album congratulations again on it it's a, a yeah. masterpiece really really good great questions really enjoyed them thanks so much for listening to this episode of lp uncovered If you like this one, you can go back and listen to all my previous episodes featuring lots of wonderful musicians. Just head along to wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts and subscribe away. Likewise, you can follow LP Uncovered on Instagram to keep up to date with upcoming episodes.